Thank you so much for the invitation, dear Emotion. It's always uh, wonderful to be here to see you. And uh, I do feel inspired by being here because I'm uh, now embarking on a similar journey of establishing a, an urban practice center that is non-monastic, even though that's my background. So uh, to come here and see how things are developing here is uh, useful and inspiring to me. And um, yeah, thank you for introducing the book. It's a big uh, effort to produce it, and it's a little embarrassing to hear this advertising language. So <laughs> see if I can make it uh, more real and uh, relevant to our actual lives. Um, last night, Galen and I had a chance to talk, and she said, well, will you talk about the book? And uh, I told people you're going to talk about the role of the body um, in practice. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll talk about bodyfulness. And uh, it's not about the book. It's uh, something that I, a word that I use in the book. And, you know, if I type bodyfulness on my computer, the, the computer says, that's not a word. You can't use that, to, you know, correct it. So I have to add it to the dictionary. And I'm not the first one to use it, but um, the subtext of the word bodyfulness is really to say, um, that the body, how important the body is in mindfulness practice, because the word is just a play on mindfulness. But let me let me ask a more general question first. It's like, what is Buddhism? And I don't mean as a religion or a philosophy that we can talk about. I mean, um, for you, what uh, what is it? What is it? Um, what is it right now? And uh, I would say it's it's to study our experience, and not just. Um, not just uh, to understand it better, but to transform it. So we could say something about our experience, but if we want to transform our experience, we have to um, learn to inhabit it. I'll try that word, to inhabit your experience. That's to study it. So you can you know, ask questions like, what is it? What is it like to be alive right now? Is it um, fully satisfying? What is it? Wh why is it so hard to be uh, yourself? What puts you at a distance to yourself? You know what causes this? weird separation that's actually really difficult to put your finger on. It's like, what's, uh, what is it to uh, not be at ease? 
what separates you from others. That's what uh, Buddhism is about. I recently uh, came across um, a Dharma talk from our spiritual grandfather, Suzuki Roshi. Um, a lecture he gave close to his death, I believe, and it was published in the Windbell magazine of San Francisco Zen Center much later in uh, 84, 1984. And my um, father-in-law, who was Suzuki Roshi's student, and uh, Mike Dixon, who painted the, if you know Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, he painted the, or drew the little fly on the blank page. He gave this, uh, wind this old Windbell magazine to me and said, I think you might like this talk. Um, and indeed, I really liked it. I mean, I was floored in a way. Um, Suzuki Roshi says there, the real purpose of Buddhism is not to establish Buddhist groups and build temples. The real purpose of Buddhism is to um, help people find their own way when they have difficulty finding their own way. <clears throat> and so, Actually, the purpose of Buddhism is to make itself obsolete, because if everyone finds their own way, then we don't need Buddhism. How liberating is that? <laughs> it's like, I thought, yeah, that's, that's true. But the purpose of Buddhism is to help people find their own way if they have trouble finding their own way. So, as Galen Roshi said, it's, I, I think in, in introducing the book and me, I think um, Buddhism is about studying your own experience and with the intention to transform it in the direction of liberation from suffering, wisdom, and compassion. And these are really big words. So, we have to be careful to keep them close to our experience. Otherwise, they just become something to talk about. So let me uh, bring up another big word, enlightenment. Some people um, really push for enlightenment, like this is something we need to get out of practice. Otherwise, it's not real. <clears throat> And then there are other people who say, well, let's not mention it so much because it just creates attachment and it becomes this fantasy that everyone is uh, searching for. And, and then some people are really shy to talk about it because they've given up. It's like, that's not going to happen for me. So enlightenment, I don't know. <clears throat> Joko Beck, an American Zen teacher who you may have heard of, um, she defines enlightenment, defines, and she says enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope 
for something other than life as it is. <clears throat> yeah, that's something to savor. Enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope. <clears throat> for life, for something other than life as it is. That's really functional. That's something you can practice. <clears throat> I wouldn't say life. I would say aliveness, not to be nitpicky, but because life suggests this lifespan that we have and that we can make use of, when in actual fact, we just have this moment of aliveness. It's very easy to get caught in the idea of life as a lifespan. To study and experience and work with this moment of aliveness is uh, harder than it seems. And there is this hope, this desire for something better than this very moment. You've, I think you've noticed. <laughs> or or, you, or the, to say it in, in the other way, some resistance. To how it feels to be alive just now. Some resistance to feel the way you feel. That's the material of our practice. This is suffering. This is dis-ease. Like not to be at ease. Be uh, uh, separated from satisfaction. The giving up of that is... Uh, Enlightenment, that's how I hear Jerkobeck saying it. Now, okay, so let's talk about mindfulness then. In this context, I, I uh, define mindfulness as the intention to bring attention to sensation without thinking about it. You heard, it, you heard this before, probably, some version of it. Often it says to attend non-judgmentally. I think it's not enough to say it's non-judgmental. It's really not thinking about it. Not just non-judgmental, but non-conceptual. Just to wipe the counter. Like, you know, what you just did. <clears throat> that practice. So let's just look at these ingredients for a moment. Uh, attention, it's your biggest treasure. Where your attention goes, your life goes. 
You understand, right? Where your attention is, is where your aliveness is. Where your attention goes knows, goes next, that's how you carry the present into the present. It's the most important thing. Everybody wants your attention. It's the, uh, it's the main business model now. Because where your attention goes, your money goes too. <laughs> and we don't really own our attention. When you sit zazen and you notice how attention gets entangled with your thinking and you try to bring it to your breathing or uh, your posture, and then it snaps back to your thinking, you know that you don't really own your attention. I say it this way. It's, it's confusing and complicated. But you know what I mean. You have this experience from sitting zazen. To have the intention to bring attention. You see, intention is the way we direct attention. That's why it's an important uh, ingredient in practice. Vow is an intent, you know, make vows is to establish intentions so that we direct attention. Now, in mindfulness practice, you direct attention to sensation, that which arises through the senses. Seeing, hearing, and so forth. The six senses, including the five physical senses in mind. So in some ways, thoughts, you could look at sensations of the mind. I don't know. It's a weird way to say it. But eyes and sights, ears and sounds, mind and thoughts, like that. <clears throat> but it's complicated with thinking. Because thinking is a way to grasp and conceptualize sensation. So you grasp what you see and you conceptualize it. You grasp what you hear and you conceptualize it. You grasp what you think and conceptualize it. You have thoughts about thoughts, about thoughts, about thoughts, right? That's our situation. So in mindfulness, we form the intention to bring attention to sensation without thinking about it. Just the sensation, just seeing, just hearing. Just having this thought and then let it disappear. To not invite it to tears, as Gurashi says, to not grasp it with another thought. Okay, mindfulness. So what do I mean by bodyfulness? Um, the breath is considered uh, a very important entry point into mindfulness practice. But there is no such thing as the breath. The breath. It's not, it's not like that. Um, the breath is, in, in your actual experience, the breath is the sensations of breathing, right? When I bring attention to the breath, what do I, I bring attention to the sensations of breathing. Of breathing. 
It's very basic. Basic way to attend to your aliveness. It's like, it's really about the minutia of the um, torso expanding. You can try this while I'm talking, give you some time. Expanding and you notice the the step-by-step expansion of what happens when you inhale. And then you're full. And then the exhale begins. And you uh, hook your attention to this movement. And when you when you do that over many hours of sitting, or not just sitting, but walking and being in your daily life, it's always accessible. I think we form something that I would uh, call breath attention. Now, what what does this word? Uh, Joining these two words, what does that bring? I don't know. Um, there's a strange phenomenon, and I, I invite you to try it out right now. You're familiar with it, probably, anyway. That you can breathe into your body. You can, you can breathe into your left foot. You know, we, we think the air the goes just to the lung. And it's true, it goes to the lung and then it goes into the bloodstream and then the blood takes the oxygen to all the cells in our body. But that's not what I'm talking about. I talk about this direct experience of that it's possible to breathe into your left foot. It's a strange thing. It's breath attention. It's not just breath. It's you use the breath to weave attention into this part of the body. And so you can um, move this breath attention to all parts of the body. If you want to be methodical about it, you go from your left foot to the lower leg, the shin and the calf and the knee, breathe into your thigh, your um, hip the pelvic area, and then the right leg. I want to do this for the whole body right now, but we don't have time. But you get the idea, right? Now, when you uh, read something about mindfulness, you come across a technique, a method called the body scan, which is like that, you know, go to the parts of the body. It's discussed in the Satipatthana Sutra, too, the 
four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the parts of the body. But I don't like the word scan. Because when you scan something, it's like, yeah, the idea is that there is this light of attention that um, shines on the different parts of the body. I'm, I'm inviting you to breathe into the body. It's not to scan it from, from up here. Like, oh, I want to scan the body. <clears throat> you are the body. When you breathe into the body, what the experience can be is that you enliven the body through this breath attention. It becomes more fully you. It becomes more fully yourself. Breathing into the body the way I try to talk about right now is like a way to practice to inhabit it more fully. Right there, there's a kind of joy. It's, um, I call it the joy of being alive for no other reason than being alive. Because when you breathe into the body like this and you begin to inhabit it, there's just this kind of buzz of aliveness. It's like, it's right here, intimate. You're, it's you. It's so precious because I don't need anything else. I don't need any like particular objects or accomplishments to uh, have this joy of aliveness for no other reason than being alive. It's like it's satisfying in itself. You can't think your way to this joy. You cannot think your way to that joy. You can only body yourself to that joy. This is amazing. I've tried a long time to think myself to this joy. It's not possible. That's why we we need to practice. You can't skip it. We want to think our way there. I know, I know. <clears throat> It's a way to relax too. Like to be at ease with your own aliveness. You're familiar with how you try to hurry away from your own aliveness into something better? <clears throat> Yeah, this is the problem. Now, you, we begin 
to uh, with this bodyfulness practice, with this mindfulness practice, which acknowledges the the body in this way. Um, we begin by attending to the sensations of the body, the breath, your left foot, the parts of the body, like I said, attending to the body. You, do you sense this, this remaining separation there? I am attending to the body. Attention is attending to the body. There's a shift possible. Um, some of you are familiar with it. Some of you maybe I can get you interested. It's like a shift from attending to the body to attending with the body. This is bodyfulness. I call this... Um, one way I try to speak about this is uh, through the through the metaphor of resonance. We have resonant bodies. <clears throat> so imagine you have two bells, you know, of similar build, and you ring one bell, and the other bell resonates with it. And this has a little bit of a resonance or quite a bit of a resonance, depending on how the belts are built. When you inhabit the body, body fully, as I suggest, you become this kind of resonant body. So when something happens in the environment, the so-called outside, something happens, I shouldn't touch this one, it's microphone. Something happened. Yeah. Something happens here. When someone makes a sharp gesture, you know, you feel it's like as if somebody kind of cuts into your own sensitivity. You know what I mean? If the dawn rings the bell, really, you know, whacks the bell, you know, you go like, ah. So, you know, that's why we say, you know, ring the bell in the mind of the practitioners. Because we're resonant, we're resonant bodies. So you ring the bell so it has, um, so it doesn't, uh, I want to say hurt, but that's exaggerated. Maybe not. So we can begin to observe how this is true for everything we uh, encounter and live, that the body is this um, space of sensitivity. This is the source of compassion. 
so many people treat compassion as a virtue. You know, it's like it's something to um, um, to be more of. You know, being more compassionate. You're more compassionate. You are a better person. It's problematic, you know, when you uh, think back to Joko Beck's um, definition of enlightenment, this hope for something better than what is. If you hope to be a more compassionate person in the future. I, I, I think practice is to discover our already existing capacity for compassion and to let it come forth. This already existing uh, capacity, compassionate capacity is the resonant body. Because when you're with another person and they do something, you 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 feel you there are the this, your own sensations that are resonant with what this other person is doing, what they're going through, the intensity that they live, etc. We want to be more compassionate and we really don't want to be more compassionate because this sensitivity is, um, it's, it's, it's our openness to pain. It's openness to our, your own pain, but it's also the openness to the pain of others and the pain of the world. So some honesty is required. You know, not to say, I want to be a more compassionate person. I want to be a more compassionate person, it's true. And I really don't want it. I want to stay protected and guarded because otherwise I, I need to feel this so intimately, this uh, pain, this intensity. When you weave attention into the body, it sounds really good. It sounds great. Oh, let's do that. When you uh, weave attention into the body, I think, I mean, I'm experiencing it. People I talk to are experiencing this. You verify for yourself what you're experiencing, but you find tension, all sorts of tension. Have you noticed in Zazen that there are contractions in the body? What's that? What is it? I want to get rid of those two. I want to get rid of them. I'm hoping for something other than life as it is. I'm hoping for those tensions to go away. I'm going to find inside, I'm going to find a way to get rid of that tension. So you add more tension to the tension. What, what is this tension? 
It's like the body trying to contract away from what is. Not just now, but for a long time. It's like this somaticized, fundamental resistance to your aliveness as it is. So there's this tension that kind of builds up in some places more than in others, but it's like the body is uh, always a little bit on guard. The most, the most fundamental posture of, of zazen, in my view, is to allow your experience to be exactly what it is at this time. Not to become something different and better, but to allow your experience to be exactly what it is at this time. Make space for that. Make space for the tension. Don't add more tension to the tension by trying to make it go away. Allow it. So you can have this actually at the same time, the joy of being alive for no other reason than being alive and opening up to this tension. Allow it to resolve itself. This happens bit by bit. I think I'm a proponent of the gradual approach. It happens bit by bit. Again and again, opening up, allowing your experiencing to be exactly what it is. Give yourself permission to be with what is the case. Okay, one little last tw twist, okay? Big last twist. <laughs> I've been talking about the body, and it's like, implicitly, I think I've created an image of inside. Inside the body. Put, uh, you know, inside the skin bag. Now, you can you could experiment with attention um, reaching beyond the boundary of the body. It's reaching beyond the boundary of the body all the time, but that's just this is just a practice now to experiment with. You know, you don't want to close your eyes. You you can try to feel toward the front of the room, you know, maybe 
to the wall. And then you can reach with your attention to the back and to the left and the right, you know, the four cardinal directions. And then the inter-cardinal directions and up and down. The ten directions, you know, we chant this stuff. Takes time. It's like an invisible hand reaching forward and back and left and right and in all directions. You establish an attentional sphere that is not limited to the body. Dogen says, the entire world in the ten directions is the true human body. This is just fantasy or like some mystical, mystical way of talking. Well, I'm, I want to invite you to experiment with your attention reaching into the ten directions. You reach to the walls, you know, why should it stop at the walls? How far does your attention reach? The entire world in the ten directions is the true human body. If you open your eyes, what you see appears in this sphere of attention. It's not separate. It's not outside. Yes, it's outside. We can call it that. But it is what appears within your own sphere of attention. So this is how you can sort of put yourself into an intimacy with the world. It's very intimate, you know, you appear in my mind, in my attentional sphere, in my attentional body, I might say, even, and I can assume that I'm appearing in yours. It's very intimate. It's hard to stand this intimacy and then you contract out of it. Because when you stay in it, it's like the body is resonating with everything that's happening. So we can begin with attending to the sensations of breathing. And we can weave attention into the body, into the parts of the body, and then realize that the whole of the body is actually an attentional sphere. And that this attentional sphere of the body reaches through the senses into space, as we call it.
And com- compassion is um, allowing those sensations that are coming up in this way, allowing those sensations, first of all, to be there, and then to let them draw us into action. Sometimes to let us um, let them draw us into non-action too. Thank you very much.